I wanted to play an instrument Cause musicians are so cool And I wanted to be cool But I found playing an instrument is kinda hard I tried the harmonica but I really sucked I tried the guitar but my fingers couldn't do it I was ready to give up Then I saw a little instrument in the shop It didn't cost too much so I gave it a shot Now I play all the time and my friends do too And who knew ukulele is the new black Yeah, it's the new black Everybody's playing it Welcome to Ukulele is the New Black. I'm Meredith Harper and I love to play the ukulele. In this podcast, I talk to ukulele players to find out why this little instrument has become so popular. So in today's episode, I'm talking to AJ Leonard. Now, in the Ukulele Republic of Canberra, people have always spoken about AJ in hushed and awed tones. So I had great expectations. I I was not disappointed. He's a very talented guy. I had a great chat with him. He was in Canberra with his partner, Jenny Rollins, who plays the cello. And they did a workshop with us and also did a gig at Smith's Alternative, supported by Eurock, which was a lot of fun. Now, I must apologise. There is a bit of background noise. Jenny didn't want to join the interview for the podcast, so but she is actually talking to some people in an adjoining room and we can hear the bit of murmuring and the occasional dog bark. So, sorry, Jenny, you ended up in the podcast after all. So I'm sorry, it's a little distracting, but I think you'll still enjoy the episode. So, ukulele player, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is AJ Leonard. AJ, lovely to have you on the podcast. Fantastic. And of course, I've met you yesterday and I've heard about you from many people saying that you're very talented. Is this true? <laughs> <laughs> it's all a lie. <laughs> well, we did a workshop last night, um, which you and you and Jenny Rollins hosted for us for Eurock. And it was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. So it was theoretically about strumming, but we actually learned a whole lot more than that. And I had a great time. We usually like to put a bit of variety into the into the workshops. And we had done a strumming workshop in Canberra a couple of years ago and we thought, oh, we, we can't do the same one because the, you know, the same people might be there. Mm-hmm. So they kind of keep us on our toes because <laughs> we have to keep rethinking and reworking. They can, the workshops can be, for me, they can be more challenging than, than a performance. Well, probably your audience is a bit more demanding because they're not just sitting back and listening, are they? It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, the workshop is a kind of performance, it, um, but, yeah, it's a lot, lot more interaction and People can obviously stop you and ask questions, and, and they're not just listening to you, you know, show off your wares. It's it, it's it's about it's about teaching. So there's a there's a skill in imparting your tra- you know, you're translating what you know to someone else, and you've got to work out how to transfer that knowledge or information so that people can understand. You know, you've got to, you've got to break everything down. Things that you might do, because I do things automatically. I don't always, and when I started doing workshops, I had to start thinking, well, what am I, you know, people would say, excuse me, um, what are you doing? And I go, and then I had, I suddenly realized, oh, I've got no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) This is a workshop. You know, I have to learn to know what I'm doing and then break it down and then say, okay, this, these are the, it's like a jigsaw puzzle and you've got to put it together. Yeah. Deconstruct whatever. Um, Jenny, She's a, a, te- a full-time teacher and 
she she helps me enormously with framing everything and also stopping me when I get too complicated. <laughs> that explains a lot, actually, because she definitely had her teacher voice on last night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she did it very well. Yes. So we should good. should just, just put a bit of background there. So Jenny um, plays cello with, with you playing ukulele, and it's it's an amazing thing, the two of you playing together. Um, we'll, be, you, we'll be performing tonight. You'll be performing tonight, um, although Ukulele Republic of Canberra are going to do a little bit beforehand be a support act hopefully i'm hoping that people won't just wait for us to stop so that they can hear you <laughs> no no we enjoy coming to canberra because um because part, part because of europe because um, they've always been our you know support act apart from helping us organize workshops and things it's really nice to have a good you know good local group being you know part of the part of the night otherwise it's sort of a bit lonely when it's just you you know it's like oh so, um, and there, it's one of the few places where we've had we've had a consistent uh, group like Uroc do do the support spot. In fact, it's probably the only I think it's the only place of all the cities that we've been to, particularly up the east coast of Australia. We call it an east coast tour. Um, of course, Canberra's not on the coast. It's not. It, it, if you look at in all of Australia, it's not that far from the coast. No, we, <laughs> compared to Perth. Well, that's, that's a different – that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never good at geography. <laughs> anyway, so let, let's go back a bit. So how long have you been playing the ukulele? I – actually, I don't exactly how long I've been playing because I have an old diary entry from um, – I've forgotten the month now, but it was 1974. Oh, wow. That's yeah. – don't make me do the maths, but that's a while. That's 40, um, 44 years well, th- yeah. that, that's, that explains why you're quite good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Practice is important. So, um, yeah. had you played other instruments before that? So, I would have been, I would have been, uh, 20. And I think that I started guitar when I was 12. And when I was 19, I was playing with a friend of mine and he went out and bought a mandolin. And I, I got very excited by that and the sound of it. And I went out and bought a mandolin in 1973. There wouldn't have been that many mandolins around. No. Even now there's not that many. No, and, of course, ukuleles. I I can't – maybe I'd started playing a small instrument like a mandolin, so I started looking at other instruments and the ukulele idea came up and I went into the city in, in Melbourne into a music store and they had one second-hand soprano, a Maton soprano ukulele up on the wall. The guy got it down and it was $20, and uh, I still have it. And the best thing about it was, and of course, in those days, there was no no internet. I mean, there were some books. You could find maybe books on you know, how to play the ukulele, which probably tell you a lot. There was there was no internet. There were no videos and, you know, and very few players. And my friend of my father's was a uke player from the 1920s. Oh, wow. So... Because of that connection, I got to meet up with him one afternoon. He showed me some right-hand techniques as well as an appreciation for it yep. and how to play the ukulele, not how to play the ukulele like a guitar or like a mandolin, but yeah. how to play the ukulele. So he had some techniques, right-hand techniques that he taught me, which I managed to work out what he was doing because it was quite you know, confronting at first. And, um, and I still... 
use them today it's the main part of how I how I play the instrument so I was very fortunate in that regard because you would have to know somebody in order to learn something yeah and then in 19 in 1978 I was in a folk club and a Canadian man came out on the stage to do a, a set and he had one of these which are uh, our listeners can't see, but it's a it's a six string tenor. It's very and, pretty, and and he played it, and I just couldn't believe the sound. Yeah, I have to have one of those. <laughs> Can you play something on it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so um, it has a sort of sort of tinkly sound, particularly when you pick it. So it has a couple of extra strings, and it was a long way from my humble soprano. Oh, can I imagine. It was like yeah. a completely different thing. And um, I spoke to him in the dressing room afterwards, and he wrote down the the company and the the address. I think I wrote them a letter. In the days we used to write letters. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then I ordered this, which cost me one hundred and sixty dollars. Oh, so that's this. This is still the same this, one. This is the seventy eight. Uh, this is yeah from seventy eight. Um, wow, from that time. It still looks very shiny. Yeah, it's 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 had a very colourful uh, life. It's got you can probably see there on the face there. There's a big scar. Oh yeah. So in nineteen seventy nine, I had my car stolen. And this was in the back of the car. Oh no, that's and, that's worth more than the car. And yeah, yeah, panel van it was a Holden panel van, a horrible <laughs> thing. But I was, I was just you know, grief stricken. I thought, you know, I had my guitar in there as well, um, but I was more concerned about this. And yeah, well, anyway, the car turned up three or four days later. This was in the back of the car. It was out out of its case. The back window of the panel van had been unbolted. And it was sitting on top of the instrument. Oh. And I thought, what's, you know, and I was glad to see it. I lifted the <laughs> window off it and there was this a big sort of puncture oh. where they must have dropped the, the window on top of it on the face of the instrument. Oh, that's So, just, so I had oh, this giant that puncture. Just, that almost makes me cry just to think about it. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing was, you know, I, I strummed it and it was still in tune. So I wow. knew everything would be okay. Yep, yep. And so you had some repair done to that? Well, look, I there's a, no hole there, I can see. It's just yeah, a, I had a guitar repairer. He had to get a, a, a – he ended up getting a guitar string, and getting it through the hole, and then pulling the piece of punctured oh, timber okay. back yeah, up yeah. to the surface. Yeah. And then he just glued it has in. used some, some glue. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, and it's been like that for a long, long time. It didn't look nice and shiny for very long before it got <laughs> damaged. Um, and that does make it look loved now, which is which is good. It's got a history. It's nice. It's, it's does, and uh, it's been damaged by Qantas. Thank you, Qantas. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's also it fell off a table once and got a big crack in it. But um, I love it. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't exchange it huh. for another one. They still they still make these. Um, this this model, the company still makes them. Um, and the company, which is called Kamaka, uh, turned 100 in 2016. Wow. They're the longest-running ukulele maker in the world. So they're, they're Hawaiian, years, are they? 100 years, Honolulu. Yep. 
Kamako is the family name, and the the the, or the men in the family have basically kept up the the tradition. The, the original Kamaki might have been Sam Kamaka, I've forgotten, but they're, basically they've gone down line and the person they're still there at the factory in in Honolulu, Fantastic. still making um, the their instruments, and they use the local Hawaiian timber called koa, uh, koa wood, which has a very particular sound. Mm. It's one of the, the two, for, for me, the two best sounding instruments that I've once made of koa and the old Martin ukuleles, who started around the same time as Kamaka in about 1916, I think. Yeah. Um, they made all their old sopranos out of mahogany and that they can be quite sought after. But, well, I'm going to Hawaii next year, and I am planning to buy a ukulele while I'm there, so this is good. Well, you, you'll have to at least go to the factory, because yes. you can go to the factory. Yeah, I'd love to do that. And yeah. it's, it's kind of humble, you know, it's just... Well, factory, that's what but, you'd expect, really, isn't but it? But yeah. it's, it's, to me, it's the sort of the heart of, I guess, the, for me, the Hawaiian ukulele, in fact, in fact that they've been going the longest. I mean, the, 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 they first started making ukes in Hawaii in the late 1800s, so Kamaka were fairly early on. In that in that regard, but um, yeah, I don't know if people know the story. There was there were three three men on a, a boat from Madeira who went to Hawaii in 1879 to work as sugarcane workers. They were all cabinet makers, so they did a stint on the sugarcane fields, two years maybe, and then they all opened up businesses in Honolulu, and they also on also on the on the same boat that came with them was a young man who had a a Portuguese instrument called a machete or a brahinha. Yeah. And the Hawaiians fell in love with the sound of it. And so the ukuleles that were made by these three cabinet makers were um, based on on that Portuguese instrument. So it, really, in a sense, the ukulele is, is a European instrument. Yeah, that, that's, so it's been that's where it, adapted that's, by Hawaii. That's where it originated, but yeah. yeah. But so it's, it's a, an interesting story. And then it went from Hawaii to... Uh, America in 1915. It was sort of exposed there at a, at a exposition in San Francisco, and um, the Americans took it on big time. And then it got really taken up in the 20s, like tin, when Tin Pan Alley was happening, and all those classic 20s songs yep. written uh, very, very much in that style. And the ukulele really fitted in the sound of it, fitted in with that kind of music, um, which is the sort of music that I first understood was what you played on a ukulele. Yeah, because you said you, you learned from someone who, who was, you know, learned, played in the 20s. Yes, yeah. yes. So what was it, what kind of thing, what kind of songs did you start with? Was it more a technique or did you actually learn? It, it, it was a technique. He didn't teach me any songs. He did teach me a little chord progression, which I ended up incorporating into one of the first uke songs, or not one of the first uke songs, but when I started to get serious about the uke when I bought a, a, a new instrument in 2006, which was this tenor. Uh, in 2006, then when I bought that instrument, I decided to focus on the ukulele. Um, and one of the first songs I wrote at that time was called Meet Me in Hawaii. And I, I incorporated this little tune that he'd shown me back in 1974. It's a good memory. <laughs> Um, stayed I, in your head it, the it, whole it time. It stayed in my head. I just, yeah, because it was to do with a, a particular technique that he um, that he showed me, which was using two, your your index finger and your little finger to play two different rhythms. Oh, okay. And so it's a really, and he, 
as far as I know, it was some island tune. Right. I never knew what it was called. Yeah. I, I could never found it anywhere, so I, I used it as part of a song. But it, it, it sounds like this. interesting sound isn't it it's a, yeah it's quite unusual and what the, the techniques he showed me i've never seen except for the syncopated strum that he showed me which is like a george formby thing that that particular one which is kind of weird it, people I, look at you very strange yes yeah, so you say i was peering at your fingers there saying, yeah. what are you doing so, well, how did, i couldn't <laughs> when i saw him do it i thought hey what do you mean you're playing two different rhythms with two two different fingers um and the other one was a is is the a more sort of flamenco strum, which you can call a circular strum or a or a um, continuous strum, which is basically um, it's running your fingers down and then your thumb up, right? Yep. But in in a circular, so it's, it starts to sound like a, a triplet strum, like a one two three one two yep. three. When you- when you play it slowly, you can hear the one, two, three, one, two. Oh, yeah. But when you speed it up, it sounds like... It sounds like this sort of runaway train yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, so going from the slow to the fast, it's it's quite... You, you, your mind can't work out how do you get from that slow speed to the, the high speed. Mm. And so you write songs. Um, you've been writing songs for some time. Uh, yeah, I guess I started... Writing songs when I was um, fifteen, I think. Wow! Yeah, when I was playing guitar, I wasn't. I, I yeah, I was an okay. I was always an okay guitar player, and um, but I wasn't a great songwriter. <laughs> my playing, I think, was better than my my songwriting. I had a lot to learn, so my my technique was probably better than my ideas. But, well, you got to start somewhere, and actually, uh, ideas are often well, ideas are harder than than technique because you can learn technique, but you can't learn ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's true. It's that's true because I think you have to be uh, to be any kind of artist. This you know you can be taught things, but uh, you need to be driven. And the ideas thing. I mean, people people are asked all the time. Oh, you know, how did you know how do you write songs? How did you write that song? So, you know, such and such a famous song. Most of the time, people go, I don't know. You know, maybe I write. I have a title. I write, I, which is what something that I do. Like meet me in Hawaii. I had that on my book for for months and months and um you want to play that one for me i think you'd mentioned it you got to play it now i could play a bit of it <laughs> yeah bit's fine you don't have to play all of it <laughs> no, i've already played the instrumental that's um, true but yeah it's just yeah, a bit of context um, around it but i was i was going to america to work with a friend at a an off conference a teaching conference in omaha nebraska right in the middle of america and and I'd organised to meet my partner Jenny in Hawaii on my way back, and she was coming from Australia, and I was going to pick up the tenor, the one that I'd ordered, I'd pre-ordered. And um, I remember on the way over, I I was on the plane and I wrote the words to the song, and then when I was in a hotel room in Omaha, I I put some music to it. So it's kind of like you know, it's a song about meeting in Hawaii, but you can be, you can write a song anywhere. Yeah. 
you know, and some, but sometimes being in another sort of location just helps you sort of stimulate stuff. I mean, you can just write songs in your office at home, of course, you know, you can be very matter of fact about it. But this one, I think I was sort of in a frame of mind where it just kind of. But you, you got to wait for the muse to take you, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it sort of takes you and sometimes you kind of, you initiate it because yep. you think, right, you know, I'm going to do something with this. And sometimes you just get an idea. It's, it's, it's very hard. I mean, ideas are hard things to describe, you know. You this, is, this is why I, I don't write songs, just because I never have the ideas in the first place. I'd love to have the ideas. Yeah. Um, so the only one I've ever written is my the theme tune to the podcast. And mm. I, I really, that was it was quite hard. Actually, well, I think, yeah, once I got it, once I got the idea of how to, what I wanted it just to say, then it all kind of came out. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've never known what to write a song about. And I think, I'm hoping one day it'll come to me, I'll write, I'll, I'll get one, and then I'll, anyway. Yeah, you might get on a roll, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll, I'll play this, this song. So that's that's the verse. So you can sort of hear it's kind of yeah, writing true. about what was going to happen. Yeah. But I think part of the thing about that was it, it was the idea of it. It was the idea of the what was going to happen, the the, the meeting part of it, which is kind of like the the fantasy, I suppose you could call it. You know, rather than um, yeah, sometimes the reality. Because if if I'd waited till I got there and thought, oh. I'll write the song now. It might have come out the same way because you I was. Might not have had a flower in her hair. Yeah, well, that's right. Because <laughs> I was imagining what was going to happen. I think that's the thing, maybe about songwriting. Sometimes it's that imagining of something, and there's nothing better than your imagination. And it just so it felt kind of exotic. Yeah, I'm a yeah. big exotic guy. You know, I like exotic. You know. <laughs> One of my favourite kinds of music is called exotica. Right. Um, and exotica music it was a 50s music, uh, mainly instrumental music. And the idea was it was music for the armchair traveller. Ah. So the music would transport you to Hawaii, to you know, the Far East, Fiji, you know, somewhere, somewhere, somewhere pleasant. Um, and it was before the big, you know, air, air travel boom right in, in those days people uh, usually you know went on boats ships and it took and, a long time yeah. yeah and i went i sailed to america when i was a kid from here to um san francisco via hawaii and fiji so i kind of i had a bit of that I got, I got a bit of a taste of that before it changed and then from that you know that was 1959 and from then on air travel Take over, and there's still cruises, of course. Yes, but most people travel by plane. Mm. So the 
So, you know, the romance of travel has changed, I think. Yeah, very much. Forever. Yeah. yeah. Forever. You know, and, oh, there was all the, all the activities on the boat. I mean, I was, I was only a kid, but mm. my parents were, I've got some memorabilia from the trip. You know, my parents won the, you know, the bridge card game competition. Oh, or, okay. or the, the shuffleboard, you know, on the deck. Yep. And table tennis. So they sort of won these, you know, prizes because they were the best, whatever, you know. They obviously were, they were good at a lot of stuff. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> or maybe no one else was competing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I thought, oh, interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's a, a bygone era in a way. And for me, the ukulele is sort of encapsulates that in, in, in some ways. And so the first lot of music I was doing, you know, from 2006 when I was putting the first recording together, which included Meet Me in Hawaii, it was all, you know, tropical I call it tropical flavoured because I was quite sort of caught up in it again. It was almost like a loop had come around from when I was a kid, when I'd been there as a kid, and there I was in 2006. I was there again, and it was like, oh, okay. It's sort of part of my background as such. Yeah. Because I just because I'd physically been there, even though I didn't remember a lot. There was it, something it, deep it's, down. Yeah, it's, it's just somewhere in your brain, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 So I do love, yeah, so for me the ukulele really represents a great a great musical heritage. Mm. So we're going to talk about Jenny. Now, she was invited to, to join us today, but she she was that reluctant, which means I think we can talk about it, can't we? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how long have you been together? Um. Together, uh, well, we met. We we met musically originally. Okay. Uh, I was putting a band together, and that was 1992. Right. Yeah. So that's I had, I had a six piece band. I was putting together an original band, six piece band, um, and I was looking for uh, violin, cello, flute, and clarinet. And I knew a violin player, an old friend. So he was he was in there. But I didn't know any other. I didn't. I didn't know other players, string, you know, orchestra, orchestral players. I guess you could call it. So I rang up a guy. I asked him to to join to play clarinet, and he said no. I bet he gave me a whole bunch of names, and one of them was Jenny's. He worked with her playing classical music. She's a she's a classical person, and I didn't yeah. know. You know, back. In the early nineties, or I didn't, you know, my musical circles weren't that big, so I had to sort of go looking. So and if you're going uh, to something, you know, if you're, if you're playing guitar and ukulele, you're not going to hang out with cellists. No, generally, no. no I, didn't, I didn't know a single <laughs> cello player. You yeah. Know? Um, or or flute or clarinet, or I had to happen to know a violin player. Um, who's because yeah. they're a dime a dozen, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, violin players. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, he's he's a wonderful, wonderful musician. He was a, he's a big part. Of, he was a big part of the sound of the band. I we 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 re- reunited uh, in two thousand sixteen. I brought some. Um, I re- re-recorded and remastered um, some of the music that that band had done, which was called F- Free Rain. The thing about Free Rain was for, for me it was good because I was playing guitar, ukulele, uh, mandolin, and um, piano. So I was getting to sort of put all these instruments together, sort of in a big melting pot, obviously one at a time. But um, and there was inst- a lot of instrumental music 
as well as um, songs. So it was a, it was good. So that was you know, nineteen ninety two to uh, and then yeah. So it wasn't until two thousand six. So it's quite a few years later that oh, okay. the ukulele thing really kind of said yeah. it. Even though I, of course I'd been playing it on and off for years. Although in the eighties I didn't play it at all. Pretty much. Well, the eighties wasn't really their ukulele time, was it? No, <laughs> it was all about the keyboards. Keyboards. I had, I, yeah, I had keyboards, drum machines. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did, I did write a soundtrack for a, um, an education movie based on ukulele. Okay. So that was that was sort of nice to pull it out. Yeah. Which at the time was the six string. It was yeah. the only only good one that I had. Yeah. What was that called? Uh, I've forgotten the name of it now. I, I do have the music. I've got a rough recording of it somewhere. Um, yeah, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's it's got a funny name. Oh, oh, yes, it was called "Show a Little Restraint." I think. Or was that another one? I did a few for the same the same filmmaker around the time in the eighties. I did some film music, and it was yeah, mainly using you know, keyboards and and guitar. And this one featured the uke, which was. Kind of nice. So now you, you, you mostly just play ukulele? Um, since 2006, yeah, it was, it was mainly ukulele. In more recent years I've gone, because I'm playing in other groups, um, I'm, playing, I'm playing keyboard again and playing guitar, um, jazz, jazz guitar. So I actually bought a new guitar a, year, a couple of years ago because um, I was doing a particular... I was playing in a combination, and I thought, "Oh, you know, what a great excuse to buy buy another guitar." So, <laughs> it's always good to have an excuse. <laughs> yeah. So it's for me. It's 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 good to keep keep my hand in on those things because you know things can slip away quickly if you don't. Yeah. If you don't play something. Yeah, very much. But the the has been really good to me um, for the last last ten years or nine years. It's it's like a it's kind of like your friend. You take it everywhere, everywhere with you. Yep. And they're small and portable. And you know, when you start playing guitars and keyboards, <laughs> they carry so much stuff. You know? Yeah, that's right. They're big. Whereas keyboard and a keyboard stand, about, you know, yeah. takes up a whole seat in the car. Yes, that's right. Yes. You know? like cellos, they're quite large. And, and cello, yeah, that's right. Because well, <laughs> we, we've we've travelled a lot um, around Australia and you know on planes and to America and New Zealand and. The cellos, yeah, it's quite a, a big part of the. So you get a bit nervous putting that in the in the luggage too, because you don't know what's going to come out the other side. Yeah, but at least the uke you can take on in the cabin, which is nice. Yeah, well, my my ukes usually go. That's why I bought these when I got this one damaged by Qantas. Mm. I was I thought, no, oh, that's burned me, so I'm going to buy these hard cases. So I've got a um, like a gym sports bag, right? That I put these these three in. They'll go in, oh, okay. in, in the bag, and right. they'll just go in luggage. Yep. The cello goes in oversized, goes in with all the, the surfboards and the bicycles. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, you you, you worry because people people have, we know there's a there's a there's a ukulele cello duo from Canada, a guy called James Hill, and his partner Anne Anne Janelle, and um, she had her cello which was in a really good case, smashed. In Italy or somewhere, mm. so you just they, never they know. really must try. To, I mean, it, it, it's hard to imagine how in that because those hard cases. I mean, they are solid, aren't they? Yeah, you just can't imagine what yeah. what they've done to it to you actually. Think, what do you that. have to do? Yeah. to do that damage. You know, drop it off a 
building, you know. Yeah, I know. So ukulele and cello, it, it, having heard the two of you play, it is actually a really good combination. Is that, is that an obvious combination for you or did, how did it happen? that you started just doing those two instruments together. Yeah, just by themselves, yeah. Well, of course, we were already using them in the in Free Rain in the six-piece band, um, but that was with other players. Mm. Um, and then uh, when we got together more seriously in 96, we started playing as a duo and we started off, you know, guitar and cello and it was, it, it was, that was okay. But sometimes we sort of found like the guitar and cello got in each other's way because of the like the frequencies, because the cello is much lower tuned than a ukulele, yeah. So it's more in the range of a cello. And then uh, along the way, I started using this uke at, at the gigs and just pulling it out occasionally. And actually, I remember <clears throat> doing things like songs like you know cheek to cheek, because um, I'd, I'd already had a version of that. And I started playing, and I heard I'd heard um, Israel. Kamaka Viva Ole sing, singing over the rainbow at the end of a movie called Meet Joe Black Night at Home. And I remember it stopped me in my tracks and I thought, wow, what a, what a beautiful, you know, sounding voice. And, and oh, he's just, he's just playing a uke. That's nice. So, so we started playing that in the duo. Um, this was in, yeah, the late nineties. Um, around the, he died, he died in 997. Um, so that was cause so we, we were doing a little taster of you can cello. And then, but as I said, it wasn't until, yeah, well, it wasn't until I got the new tenor in 2006 that we started when I decided to focus on the uke. So, we, you know, I'll, she was already playing cello, I was already playing uke, but we just, as I say to people, I left the guitars at home. Yep, yep. And it was kind of nice. <laughs> and because of, the, because of the musical climate, because of what was going on uh, with the ukulele globally, it was the timing was was really good, mm. um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a very unusual combination, mainly because well, there's not a lot of cello players out there, I suppose, and but I think it takes a certain anyway for our our act, it it really requires a good player, like a good musician, like she's a good musician because she can adapt, she can come over my side of the fence, yeah. Probably more than I go over to hers being a classical player. Yeah. But I've always had a classical sensibility without the training. So I, you know, the music I like and the way I play, uh, dynamics. So we, we sort of fit, we fit together well. So if it, you know, it's not going to work for everybody. So you've got to be certain kind of musicians for that, that combination to work. Yeah. It's not, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it seems to work. Um, now, my, my final question, as always, is how has ukulele changed your life? Well, it, it, um, when I took it up, you know, seriously after quite a few years, when I decided to focus on it, um, it did, it, it, it did change my life. It, um, it sort of saved me in a way from, because I'd been doing, I'd been playing, you know, many instruments for years and, but what I'd never really done on the uke, was write song, write music for it. I was mainly playing music on, on the. I, wrote, I originally wrote a few tunes in the seventies that were kind of fun. So it, it it gave me a whole new appreciation of I don't know maybe the. I sort of I felt like I, I discovered the, the sound of it. So it sort of opened my eyes to that. And and as I say, I I started writing a lot of music and I hadn't written a lot of music for for a while. 
because I didn't I didn't see the point point of it. But because it's like because there was like a market out there for it, an audience, probably for a better word. Um, I thought, oh great, you know, and so it really just enlivened me. You know, it was like a like a second life, mm. musical sort of career. It sort of basically gave it a real boost. So um, the songs you, you wrote th- th- at that point for the ukulele, is there one in particular you give us a little give give us a few bars of? Um, oh, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, question without notice. I know. Yeah, well. Um, <laughs> It's, it's been nice because uh, a few a few songs have been taken up by by other people. Um, I could play uh, I could play a bit of play a little bit of a song called "Barefoot with My Baby," which is a old style thing. That's the other thing, but you could, it's a great excuse you can play old style music and <laughs> and get away and not be thought of being un, untrendy because it's true. Because the ukulele trendy, but whatever you're playing, it, it doesn't matter. Um, so I'll play a bit of. I play a bit of Barefoot with my baby, which is from we do an album called Soft Lights and Sweet Music, which is very kind of retro style. Um, We've done a couple of albums of like 20s, 30s style of music, which is the sort of music that I originally played on the uke when I started playing because that's what I thought you were supposed to play on the uke, none of this modern stuff. That's got a gentle, yeah, happy it's, song. It's one of those songs I thought, have I stolen it from somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Well, AJ, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Great to talk to you and look forward to hearing you play tonight. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. After my interview with AJ, he and Jenny played a gig at Smith's Alternative um, and they were supported by Urock. We did about a 15, 20-minute gig before. Um, he kindly let me record that because I wanted to include a song that had a bit of Jenny's cello in it. 
They played some fantastic songs, including quite a few Christmas songs. And because I found it really hard to choose one song, what I've done, seeing as it's, you know, getting close to the festive season, I've done a little medley of four of the Christmas songs they played. I'll have that after the credits, so stick around. Ukulele is the New Black is produced by me, Meredith Harper, and I also wrote and performed the theme tune. Graphic design is by Seb Carrero. Details of songs played by AJ in today's episode are in the show notes. Episodes are released every second Monday, and you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Our YouTube channel has a playlist of songs relating to each podcast episode. Want to support the show? Well, subscribe. Go to the website, ukuleleisthenewblack.com, and you can donate via PayPal. And we've also got links there so you can go and buy some merch, T-shirts, mugs, the usual. Please leave a review. If you're a non-Apple person like me, I like my Android phones, you can leave a review on Facebook, like Jeff, who says, it's a fun podcast that looks at why we love the little four-string smile maker. Thanks, Jeff. I really love to hear from listeners. You can send me an email via the website or on podcast at ukuleleisthenewblack.com. And follow the show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. See you next time.